0: We're still in Colossians, the second chapter. And I, you know, I don't want to belabor this issue, but I just cannot move quickly through Colossians. There's just too much stuff here. Um, and so i got to take my time. Um, and there are things that I've preached this passage before. There's one thing when you preach a passage. There's another thing when you live through what you're preaching. And right now, I am in the throes of understanding what it's like to trust in the sufficiency of Christ um, in a very practical way where it's not just head knowledge. It's something I'm dealing with and struggling to do and asking God to help me with on a day-by-day basis Um, because I'm in a battle uh, of some sorts when it comes to these things. The enemy is doing everything he can to um, cause me to look or us to look at other places and other things, the pressures that he brings in life um, called us to go, well, you know, Lord, are you really there? <laughs> Lord, are you all I need? All this trouble I'm going through, am I missing something? Is this on me? that I do something? You know, those are all those doubts that the enemy sends. Um, and we have to understand who we are in Christ. We have to cling to that. We have to trust in that. And we have to, as I heard another preacher preach this morning, we have to rest in that. Amen. So Colossians 2:16 through 19. I hope I get through two of these verses. <laughs> Amen. Colossians 2:16 through 19. The word of God says, "Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ." Amen. I'm making my screen bigger. <laughs> there you go. All right. Let no man beguile you of your reward in involuntary, involuntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding to the head. Say that with me. And not holding to the head, from which all the body, talking about the church, by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Amen? Amen. In him all things consist. Amen? Christ holds us together. Amen. All right. I'm going to speak to you today from this title, In uh, David, this is a little complicated, so... Hear me quickly or hear me clearly when I say this. Free to grow. Colon. Avoiding church bullies. Avoiding church bullies. Amen. Now we've all been here. We remember when we were young, and perhaps in college. Uh, or in the latter years of high school or wherever have you, or whenever we first started shopping around for a car, uh, we would go to the used car lot because my daddy didn't buy me a new car. I don't know about you, (laughs) but I got a 1982 Audi, uh, fresh out of high school. And I was excited about it because it was nice and blue and had a wooden steering wheel and it was nice. And so, um, you know, I walked around, looking around for a car, and I saw that Audi, and I said, that's an Audi. It's nice. Man, I need to be sitting in that. You know, if I get one of them, that might be, give me a girlfriend or some friends or all kinds of things that happen if, I, if I'm sitting in that car. And so we look for something flashy because we're young, <laughs> you know we decide that that's the car we want and it looks good on the outside. You know, nice paint job, nice rims, a certain brand. You know, maybe you look for a Mercedes first out. You know, you know like yeah, I don't care what year it is. It's a Mercedes. I want one. <laughs> you know, something that we believe is high quality. Something sporty. So we think to ourselves, you know, because of its high quality, it's probably a good car and because it looks nice on the outside, we tend to think that it's going to be okay. But if we have any sense, we'll take a look under that hood. (laughs) Because we eventually have to check to make sure that the engine checks out, not just the outside of the car, but the inside of the car, right? Because after all, the car's purpose is not to look flashy. The car's purpose is for you to get from point A to point B. Its purpose is transportation. Amen? To transport you from one place to another. Now, I don't know much about this, but similarly, I've heard a few people say that nowadays, dating is really difficult. So a lot of people have either given up or they have resulted to online dating. Now, I don't know what that's about, but the idea is that you put your picture up, And hopefully a bunch of people think you're cute. And all the traffic hopefully flows to your little post. (laughs) And you start picking and choosing who you want to go out with. I don't know. I don't know. I'm assuming. You know, all the good looking people get all the dates or whatever. I don't know how it works. But, you know, I've talked to a few folks and they've eventually gone out with the people that look good on the site. Only to find out that they liked them better online than they did in person, right? The experience of that person was the exact opposite of what they were feeling or experiencing online. What I'm saying to you is that you can't tell uh, what you're really dealing with when you judge something by the externals, Amen. Now when it comes to people, anyone can conform themselves to externals temporarily. But being authentic, now that takes some work. Being real is a lot more challenging than just being temporarily, you know, fake or being able to do something or dress up yourself in a certain way from the outside. Amen. You follow me? Here's my point. There are hypocrites in this world, and there are hypocrites in the church. External behavior is not the way to judge as to whether someone is really a Christian or not. Because I heard this week, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, I heard a preacher say, anybody can act the part. Anybody can, it's Sunday. I guess I'll just act the part today. Right? So we can't always tell by the externals. Now, this is the, kind of an old problem. And just like we deal with this in our day, the Colossians, who were Gentiles mainly, were dealing with it too back in their day. But they were being judged by others, mainly the Jews, who claimed that these Colossians... They did not know God and could not continue to mature in God unless they followed their particular culture or their particular rules or their particular regulations. And these people who were judging the Colossians felt like that they were experts when it came to the lifestyles of others. They were the experts on deciding as to whether or not God would be pleased with you or not pleased with you so to get an understanding of what was happening in these verses let's go back a little bit in the context of the letter and see the verses that lead up to where we are now now here's the thing before this in the first couple of chapters we're dealing with Paul being very very excited about the news he's hearing from Epaphras about the church that is growing there he's very very excited about what he's hearing he's saying you know you guys have this love for one another key words in chapter 1 that basically proves to me that Christ is there. Amen? He, that proves to it, you know, to, to me that Christ is there. And then what we have here in the second chapter is we are talking about, or the first chapter going into the second chapter is all this exaltation of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. And how Christ has done this and how Christ has done that. He's redeemed us. He has transformed us. He's, he's saved us. He's, he's taken out all the things that we could not do. And did it For us, by himself. Amen? And so what you have here now is people leaning on, depending on, trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then last week we talked about in verse 14 of the second chapter. Can you put it up there? Maybe not. I didn't get it. Maybe I can get to you. Anyway, it says, Christ blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances. That's all the rules and regulations of the Mosaic law that was against us or contrary to us and took it out of the way and Christ nailed that stuff to the cross once and for all. (laughs) Thank you Jesus. Amen? So basically he's saying that Christ took the Mosaic law and all the parts that were ceremonial and specific to the Jewish culture with all of its rigidity and he nailed it to the cross on our behalf because they couldn't keep the law and neither could we. Amen? Because all that the law required, and has, has already been fulfilled in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. It's paid for. Amen? So Paul's main point in saying that is this. Keep your eye on Jesus and Jesus alone. Not on the particulars of the law that you could never keep in the first place. The law can't save you. That was the old way. Jesus has come already. He's paid. He's made a way. There's a new perfect way. Amen? And that is in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 15, okay, we're getting ready to go to 16, but in verse 15, he says, And Jesus Christ, having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made show of them, stripping, uh, uh, rather, rather, uh, uh, made show of them openly, triumphing over them. Amen? What he's basically saying here is Jesus having spoiled, Jesus Jesus stripped the demons of their possessions, took the captives that they had, and Jesus rescued them, spoiled them, plundered them, amen, all the demonic powers. And he made a public showing of them. When he died on the cross, he publicly shamed them, amen, triumphing over them. So now they have no power over Christ Amen. And there's nothing they can do to you without the permission of Christ. Are you hearing this? Thank you, Holy Spirit. So, Paul's point in, in, in this is saying this the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ was a glorious triumph over the whole entire host of hell. Get that in your head. Jesus is victorious over Satan, Jesus is victorious over his demons. Those who are in Christ are no longer prisoners of the demons. Somebody's got the hand up. Somebody's getting it. So don't lose sight. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus and don't take your eyes off of his victory. Amen. Amen. Keep your eyes on Christ. Are you hearing me? So let's just sum that up really quickly because I want to make sure you got it. The law has been stripped Of its power to condemn those who are in Christ. The demons have been stripped of their power to hold those who are in Christ. Amen. And all those who are in Christ are complete in Jesus and don't need anything else. Nothing is needed to please God but what Jesus Christ has already done. Amen. Amen. That's right. You can get happy about that. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the setup. Now, we're going into verse 16. You know what? Let's read it first. Verse 16. Yeah. Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink. Let no man, therefore. So, he's saying, because of the victory of Christ, let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or the new moon or the the Sabbaths. Let's just stop right there. With Christ's victory being preached and taught, there are still going to be some religious folks that will say that after all that God has done for the believer, you still need something else to be made right with God. So here, Paul, as I said, is hearing great things about the Galatians church. People are getting saved. People are growing in Christ. So of course, Satan knows this, the demons know this, and they don't like to see any forward movement or progress in Jesus Christ. They don't like to see the forward movement of the church. Amen? So unfortunately, when we take our eyes off of Christ and his total sufficiency... When we take our eyes off of what Jesus Christ has done, when we take our eyes off of the victory that Jesus Christ has given us, we contend to give Satan and his imps a whole lot to work with. Are you hearing me? So Satan uses what we would call distractions. Distractions to plant paralysis in the church to stop the movement what he basically does is he sees the movement of the church and he says I got to stop this I got to find some way to get them stuck are you hearing me and what he does is he inserts people who don't want to believe and receive the truth of what Jesus Christ has done he inserts those people in the church and suddenly everybody who was looking at Jesus Christ starts looking at the faults of everybody else in the church So to fight Satan and a fight against what he is doing in this church and trying to set up Paul says don't let anyone therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the sabbath. So what we got here is dietary stuff and we got ceremonial stuff. Amen. Rights. Things that were in the Old Testament law. Now, here's the thing. If Christ is victorious over all the demons, let's just use Mary as an example. Mary who was possessed by demons. Remember her? Who Christ delivered from the demons. If Christ has been victorious over all those demons, then then do you do this? Do you then? Let's just say Mary goes to this church. Do you walk up to Mary after Christ has set her free from demonic control? Walk up to her in church and say, I know that Jesus Christ has done a miracle in your life, girl. But what you really need to do now is to, in order to be saved and to grow in Jesus Christ, is you need to stay away from pork sandwiches and any juice that has, that's coming from grapes how particular that is? She's been delivered from demons. So Jesus can't deal with pork (laughs) and juice. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Girl, I know Jesus Christ has done a work in your life and you are free, sort of kind of. What you need to do is make sure that you go to all the Jewish festivals and ceremonies. And don't forget, don't ever skip any Sabbaths. Because if you do that after Jesus Christ has set you free, then what you, you know, it's going to be all bad between you and God. Are you hearing that? Does that even make sense? doesn't make any sense. 1 Corinthians 8 and 8. 1 Corinthians 8 and 8. The Word of God says, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat and we don't gain anything if we do. That's really plain. We're talking about these dietary laws where if you touch something or you eat something that's unclean, then you were no longer fit to be in the community of believers and God you had to go and do all the ceremonial stuff to be clean. So you don't don't eat those things because God had determined back in that time there were certain things he, he did to separate the Jews from everybody, and there were some things he did to make sure that they didn't catch diseases. Right? All right. So there's all kinds of reasons for that. Amen? Some other stuff too, but I don't want to go into all that right now. But there are people who think that they're helping God or assisting God in the sanctification or salvation of others. By telling people not to eat certain things, not to drink certain things, not realizing that what they are doing is they are exalting their scruples and making their scruples bigger than Christ. Amen. Causing people to take their eyes off of Jesus and causing them to hyper focus on smaller, uh, you know, preferential kinds of choices S. Lewis Johnson wrote this he said this in his article paralysis of legalism he says legalism wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian from the Christian believer he said it's just pretty much just saps your joy as a believer and with the joy of the Lord once that goes guess what else goes his power his vitality Amen? Your ability to worship God is stripped. Your ability to serve God, all of that comes from being happy in Jesus. So what legalism comes and does is it places a yoke of bondage on you and makes you heavy. I don't feel like, sir, I'm just, oh, I'm just, oh. I haven't done this right. I haven't done that right. I didn't finish this. I didn't, oh. It zaps your joy. Are you hearing me? Legalism is the killer of the believer. Okay? So those who judge Christians by small external issues and push them on other believers, we call those people church bullies. Okay? They're church bullies. They stir up fights about small, non-essential matters. They wrench the joy right out of the church members by judging the freedoms of others. Hang with me. Verse 17. So he says, uh, give me a Colossians 2.17. 2, These things, you know. The new moon, the drink, and the meat, uh, whether or not you eat this or you, you know, know, eat this kind of meat or that kind of meat or the the, the holidays and, you know, all those kinds of things. Those kinds of things are a shadow of the things to come. But the bodies of Christ, at one time, as I said, the laws were needed, you know, and used by God to prepare a nation that would be separated to himself. These people would be the keepers of God's law. So the ceremonial and uh, civil regulations in uh, Judaism set God's people apart from the world. However, through Christ, God was preparing a new people promised for Himself. In other words, He was trying to take His message worldwide. So He removed all that other stuff and allowed us to be free. If we have Christ, We have everything we need in order to please God. So here's the thing. The issue and the reason why people fall apart from God is not so much whether or not you obey every single thing in the law. The reason why people fall apart from God is they stop believing in the promises of Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? Jesus promises rest. You don't believe he's giving you rest. So you try to attach something to yourself and you keep Sabbath days. Are you hearing me? So what's happening is basically saying when you get into those kinds of things, you are stripping yourselves from the promises of God. Amen. When you decide that you will not celebrate Christmas or some other so-called holiday, you are setting up walls that separate you from people that Jesus tore down. Are you hearing me? Remember, the law of Moses was set apart, would set Israel apart. However, Jesus came and set the church apart not to run away from the world, but to engage the world. Amen. To engage the culture, to invade the world with its light and its truth, not run away from everything that's not like you. That's not what he's saying. So just because people get up on Sunday morning or whatever, you know, the weekday morning, whatever Christmas day it falls on, and they want to play the Jackson 5, and they want to dance around and get, 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 kind of get giddy and stuff like that, and it's December 25th, and, you, you know, they're all excited because they had Christmas gifts underneath the tree. That does not, that's not something you need to separate yourself from from people. You don't look at that and say, look at them pagans. There's no good Santa Claus pagans. Can you sing him? That's not what he's saying, saints. Get the, thank you, Donna. Get free today. Don't let these small issues cause you to be used by the enemy to disrupt the peace and kill someone's, some believer's joy and cause separation when there should be unity. Don't let your scruples get in the way of Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? All right. All right. Romans 14, 1 through 4. Romans 14, 1 through 4. Almost done. The danger of criticism. This is the word of God. Hear this, people. I'm just going to quote it. Except other believers who are weak in the faith. Those who believe that all these external things really, really matter. Accept believers who are weak in the faith and watch this, don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, coming back to verse Colossians uh, uh, 2 and 16 again, but stay here. For instance, one person believes that it's right That's all right to eat anything. But another believer um, with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Okay? Because of what they believe the spiritual connections to those things were back in the day. Amen? Verse 3. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Those who do... Okay, wait, wait. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn, condemn those who do. Key phrase, for God has accepted them. Verse 4 Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, not yours. They will stand and receive his approval. The issue with church bullies is they don't know how to stay out of God's business. You hear that? They have no ability to do that. And I'm going to go deeper into why that is in just a minute. Amen? So here's the thing look at this again. Don't argue with the weaker saints, they have reasons. Maybe they came out of something you don't understand. Okay? They got issues about a certain thing. Don't argue with them. Just say, you know what? You know, okay, that's you. I'm not going to try to convert you and speed you up in your process. At the same token, don't try to slow me down <laughs> in my process. And don't forget, I don't need to argue with you, and you don't need to condemn me. Amen? Because neither one of us belong... To ourselves, we belong to God. Are you hearing me? (laughs) Amen. So I'm not going to get in the business of God and go around condemning His servants who He's already approved. That's none of my business. These are small issues, and I'm not going to let small issues tear up stuff. All right, here we go. Romans, same chapter, fourteen, verses seventeen through twenty. Ooh. Romans 14, 17 through 20. Pastor Rick always quotes this verse, and I love this verse. So I went a little deeper into it. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what ye eat, what you eat or drink, but of living a good life or a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about what you eat or drink are all these external things don't touch this don't do that don't, not, it's not about that it's about a life of righteousness right living amen what God has been very clear about amen it's about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit so you live your life by his direction by his power and not your own are you hearing me amen If you serve Christ with this attitude, verse 18 says, you will please God and others will approve of you, verse 19. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Oh, I didn't write this. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. In other words, don't let your preferences or your scruple destroy the work of the church. Don't let what you think you've got to do and what you think somebody else has to do that is of no consequence and not a major matter, don't work against God and what he's trying to do in people by inserting your to-do list. Okay, okay. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes Another person stumbled. So here's the catch: we have weaker brothers, we have weaker sisters that came out of some stuff, and they're, they get easily freaked out about stuff. And don't judge them because you you might have been there at one point in time too. Okay. So what he's saying is everybody's on different levels. Amen? Everybody's on different levels. What he's wanting to do here is to have harmony in their church and not what the devil would like to cause a separation or create separation or division. So what he's saying is, listen, we have weaker brothers in church who get, you know, freaked out about smaller issues. But the intention for them is not to stay weak. The intention for them is to grow in Christ Amen. And we are not to argue with them. We are not to belittle them. But we are to prayerfully, through the word of God, build them up. Uh, but we don't have to agree or be persuaded by what they think. John Max said this something. He said this really, really, really important thing. And I want I to point this out. John MacArthur said this. He said, when you're dealing with the weaker brother, you should restrict your liberty for their sake to make sure that they don't stumble and fall, amen? But he does not say, the word of God, do not add to the word. He said, the word of God does not say, restrict your liberty for unsaved sinners, nor does it say, restrict your liberty for false teachers who teach commandments of men as though they came from God. He said, when you do that, when you see that, you stand firm in your liberty. Nope, I'm not budging. You're not teaching what is true. You are trying to perpetuate something that is a lie, and I have no choice but to stand against you. What are you saying now? Where did you see that, Pastor? When Peter got caught up with them other folks from the Jews' crew and refused to start eating, the gospel was at stake. And Paul said, I I resisted him to his face. I stood up to him and said, You are wrong. And I cannot back down on this because there's too much at stake. So they will be weaker brothers, but we don't have to be persuaded by what they do. We don't have to let them push us around. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the false teacher is, is somebody who is not necessarily a person with a title all the time. A false teacher could be a, a regular church member who comes in and says something that, you know, does not really line up with the word of God. You know, and they try to teach those things to other people. They perpetuate those beliefs that are not true. When they say that Christ is not enough in order to mature you or for you to be saved and that you must abide by this rule or that rule or this preference, uh, just like what Peter did with Paul, you oppose them to their face. And you say, no, 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 I'm going to stand in my liberty. You may not like it, but I have to stand in my liberty. All right. I'm going to read this quote, and we're almost done. Albert Barnes said this about the word peace. He said, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So he said this about the word peace. He said, this word in this place does not refer to the internal peace and happiness, which a Christian has in his own mind between him and God. No. He said that is bad hermeneutics. He said, but this piece actually refers to the concord and opposition to the contention among brethren. He's basically saying that the tendency and design of the kingdom of God is to produce concord and love and put an end to alienation and strife even though, he says, there might be grounds for the opinions which some cherish in regard to certain rights that they want to continue. Amen? Yet it was of more importance to maintain peace than obstinately to press those matters at the expense of strife and contention. That the tendency of the gospel, he says, is to promote Peace And to induce men to lay aside all causes of contention and bitter strife is apparent in all of the New Testament writings. He said, this second evidence, speaking of peace, this second evidence of piety on which Christians should examine their hearts, a disposition to promote the peace of Jerusalem, a continuous quarrelsome spirit, A disposition to magnify your trifles, to make shibboleth. That word means to cause the church to become something that's like a party line, like the Republicans versus the Democrats or something. Amen. He said, to make shibboleth at the church and turn it into a political party or an occasion of alienation or heart-burning and discord, to sow dissensions on account of unimportant points of doctrine or discipline is foolproof that there is no attachment to him who is the prince of peace. He said, you carry that spirit when you go around looking at everybody else's fault over small issues. He said, there's a good chance you don't know Jesus. That's hardcore. That's hardcore right there. Such a disposition does infinite dishonor to the cause of religion and perhaps has done more to retard. There's that word, paralyze. To retard its progress than any other causes put together. Contentions commonly arise from some small matter in doctrine in dress code in ceremonies and often in smaller matters he says the smaller the issue the more fierce the controversy until what ends up happening is the spirit of vitality in religion becomes desolate in the church legalism drains the life out of the church. It kills. It kills. It's all about peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33. I'm going to quickly go through these scriptures and be done. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, thirty-three For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all churches of the saints. Galatians 5, 22. You know this one. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith. Amen? Ephesians 3, 4 and 3. Ephesians 4 and 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 Thessalonians five twelve and 13. And we beseech you, brethren to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem you or esteem them rather very highly in love for their works' sake and what be at peace among yourselves amen james three eighteen, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace <laughs> matthew 5 and 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. If your scruples are causing f- such a problem and you're holding on to these smaller issues, then it's causing a disruption. Paul is basically saying, check your heart. Check your heart. Those who fight and make a big deal out of these issues may not know Christ at all. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I feel you kicking, Satan, but I'm going to keep going. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. I've used this scripture over and over and over again. And to my shame, I must say this. I need to admit something to you. When I was younger, I was so caught up in the sexual perversion that we were coming through years ago that I did not see the connection that he was actually making. Sometimes as preachers, we can get into our own little stuff and end up preaching something and connecting it to something and using the word in a way that may not necessarily be what's really there. Okay? I've done it. Okay, This is actually talking about false teachers. Are you hearing me? Seducing spirits is what it says in King James. He says, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say that it is wrong to be married, and here it is. Look at it. Look at it and wrong to eat certain foods. You see it? But God has created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. Paul is saying people who teach and push these smaller ideas are normally hypocrites. The whole time they are accusing you of what you're doing... (laughs) (laughs) about your small matter, they have things in their lives that they would never want to be exposed. Are you hearing me? So to make themselves feel better, they spend all their time finding fault with you. When the truth is, they got some other stuff going on with them. Okay? And how you know is that they are causing a disruption in the church. They're causing there to be no peace. A very... Dear church, I love this church, and I can't mention their name, but I'll keep I'll keep the name silent to myself. But I, I love this church. They came through something years ago. They had a pastor that passed away. Um, huge church in another area, um, and they eventually went on a search for his successor after he passed away. And they made a huge mistake in judgment They were looking at all the wrong things They brought in somebody He didn't smoke He didn't drink (laughs) He was married He had respectable children And later on He ends up sleeping around With several people in the church Okay It wrecked the church The church split. The influence that they had in the community vanished. They had to start all over again. Amen? Now, they often speak of the days or the glory days when they were much bigger. Amen? Their former glorious days. And they tend to blame the pastor for destroying their church. But here's the thing. The elders of the church know better. Uh, The elders of the church would say the real blame was their decision to base the selection of their pastor on outside externals and externals alone. Are you hearing me, saints? They hired a hypocrite and made it easy for him to integrate into the church because it was all about not transformation from the inside that ends up being on the outside, but transformation on the outside that never gets in the inside. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They overestimated their ability to discern what is true. What they should have done is prayed more. What they should have done is relied on the Holy Spirit. What they should have done is trusted the only one who's got a video surveillance camera in every single home in the world. And who is that? God and God alone. He knows what's really, really going on. The people would choose King Saul over and over and over again if it had not been for God who told Samuel, no, it's not him. It's really David who was the least of his brethren. Now, David wasn't perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart. The externals didn't look too good, but God knew the heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh) Spirituality is not based on whether or not you smoke. I I, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this because some people are going to take this out of context. But spirituality is not based on whether or not you smoke. It's not based on whether or not you have a drink. It's not based on what you decide to eat. True spirituality is based on one person, and that is keeping your eye on Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That is the key. Titus 1:14 and 15, I'm done. Because I've said enough to get myself in trouble. <laughs> this is not easy where I teach it. Titus 1:14 and 15. It says, they must stop listening to the Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. And we know the scripture. We've heard this before. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupt. The Jewish message he's talking about is the eating laws and the ceremonial laws here. He's basically saying, stop looking at that stuff. In other words, for what, for, what does that mean for us today? Stop looking at all the external stuff. Okay. There are some sins that are just completely out of line with God and we know what they are. God was clear. But there's other stuff that we actually attach buffers to on top of this other commandments. Pharisees, they added stuff to it. So they would do stuff to make sure that they helped God out. (laughs) We don't want to sin, so we're going to take your law and then add some more stuff on top of it. And now we know we should be good. And Paul is saying that stuff doesn't work. It doesn't keep you. You're doing unnecessary stuff. Don't say stuff I did not say. Is what God said. Don't make command that I did not make command of. But here's the thing. Watch this. Help me, Holy Spirit. When Satan came to Eve and said to Eve, "What did God say?" Do you remember what Eve said? She said, "We shouldn't even touch the tree." Guess what? God never said that. He said, "Don't eat of the tree." She added on. Something to what God said. And you know what I believe in my heart of hearts? Satan saw an opening. Oh, you're doing too much. (laughs) I got you now. Are you hearing? So listen, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving. Here's the thing that I want you to understand, people. I don't want to say this. To the pure, the observance of the ordinances and the laws serve to make that person even more confident in what they believe, and more confident in in their salvation, and even more confident in their sanctification progress. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus, okay? To the pure. But to the unpure, the external observances are only used as external rituals to cause them to be able to sneak by and go deeper and deeper into their depravity. So basically, there are people who are really a part of the church. Uh-huh. And they are people who are a part of the church and really live through those or live by those externals and there are people who are hiding behind the church and use those same external things. I don't do this, I don't touch this, I don't do this, I don't touch that, to make themselves look like Christians, and they really are not. Why? Because it's not about the external things, it's about the heart. If God changes your heart, he will cause you to live a certain way, to think a certain way, to believe a certain way, to act a certain way, to put certain things away for the sake of his glory. When your heart has not been changed, you do all kinds of stuff to fake it and be a hypocrite for your own glory. Are you hearing, you seeing the difference? What's underneath all of this? Pride. Pride. And got nothing to do with Jesus. And it doesn't change you. It doesn't make you any more like him. So what am I saying? Pastor, what are you saying? Are you saying that, you know, you could just do anything because of grace? Are you saying you could just live any kind of way? No, no, no. This message is really saying something very simple. (sighs) He's saying that you must not judge someone else's faith by whether or not they do something that you think is wrong by your own preferences. Okay? That's all he's saying. And he's saying, don't let somebody intimidate you into some kind of judgment and strip you of your joy based on what you drink, what you eat, what holiday you, you know, celebrate. He said, this is no indication as to whether or not you are in Christ. Don't let nobody bully you. And don't you become a bully. That's what he's saying it's easy to do. Why? Because my pride, if I'm being totally honest with you, I kind of like feeling like I'm better than you. Oh, wow. <laughs> Let's just be real. You know, me and Jesus, we real tight. And you know, I, I feel like we real tight. Why do you feel like you real tight, Jamie? Because I don't do what so-and-so does. At least I don't do that. What is that that you're talking about? Well, you know how they dress. You know what they look like. You know what they're into. What are they really into? Well, you know, look at, look at them. <laughs> look at what? What I mean? Are they murdering people? What are they doing? Are they sleeping around? What are they, what are they doing? Well, you know, they kind of, you know, they got these things. They're kind of a little too free. Free with what? what? Did God tell them they couldn't be free in that area? Well, I just feel like they shouldn't. And that makes me feel better about me. See where it is? Now, here's the thing. As obviously as, I, as obvious as I made that, that thing is very hard to detect. So before you start pointing your finger at somebody else, ask God to search your heart. It's very hard to detect. The pride of life, that's the sneaky one. You got to be careful with that. Okay? It's the one that causes you don't really know what your motives really are. So you have to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, I've been in church all my life and I've seen some things. And I got some feelings about some folks. And I don't want to be used by Satan to cause unnecessary division. I don't want to be his tool. There's some things I should come against. And there's some things I should just kind of leave to be your business. So help me, God. Because I don't really know how to operate on nobody else. No more than I know how to operate on me. Help me, Lord, to see myself. And he'll show you. He will show you. Amen? And hopefully it doesn't have to be a moral failure or something like that. He will just show you your ugliness. Because we can be ugly. And we're looking for people to come to church. We don't want them to run into a bunch of folks where we actually dim the light of Jesus because we are magnifying our, our preferences—they can't even see Jesus for all the stuff that we're trying to make them, you know, quit and stop, and by our own discernment, our own. And, and the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go into the other side, which is asceticism. Okay, where you see where people have added to what God has said about certain things. I was blown away by what we have the ability to do with God's law, and when we do that. We cause people to be angry. We cause people to lose joy. You know? They don't function like they should. Why? Because they're not excited about Jesus. They've taken their eyes off of Jesus and started over-focusing on what we want them to focus on because it makes us uncomfortable with what they're doing. We don't want to be like that. You know? In Mark chapter 7, I end with this. Jesus was approached by the Pharisees because some of the disciples did not wash their hands according to the traditions of the elders. Remember that? Okay. And they said, why don't all of your disciples follow the teaching of the elders? The interesting thing is, is they had a problem with it and Jesus didn't. But here's the catch. Some of the disciples did wash their hands. Some of the disciples didn't. Jesus let them both hang out with him equally. And did not trip. But the Pharisees couldn't see Jesus for being too busy looking at somebody and what they weren't doing as far as washing their hands. And it wasn't about, you know, getting your hand dirty. It was about defilement. You know what I'm saying? So basically, Jesus Christ later on said, you hypocrites, your hearts are far from God. Isaiah was right about you. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are not even close to God. Why? You're focused on the wrong thing. You're sitting here pointing out people's sins as far as the elders' tradition, which is not even what God said. And you're sitting here trying to figure out how you're going to murder me. Hypocrites! Careful.